Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. And I'm Patrick Remyon. Welcome to the Academy. You know, I, I came in a little soft there, Patrick, because I was genuinely considering singing the opening bars to Hollywood Man before <laughs> we... Before we dove in here, uh, this week, Patrick and I had the chance to check out a few films at the uh, New Beverly here in Los Angeles, and one of them was The Mighty Hollywood Man, directed by Jack Starrett, starring the great William Smith, and um, very hard to find currently, so there is a rip on YouTube. I, I highly recommend you all check it out. It's pretty good. Is it like uh, The Godfather? No. <laughs> But is it a lot of fun and also uh, a film that goes places you'd never thought it would go like 100 percent like genuinely surprising and thrilling film of the exploitation genre. Um, Basic premise is that William Smith is a actor director who is making his magnum opus a biker movie. The problem is it's being funded by the mob and they don't want him to finish because if he doesn't finish, then they get more money, evidently. Yeah, I think it's like they get all his like... Uh, like his house, his life savings. Yeah, it's not a good deal. Like he probably should not... Hollywood man kind of kind of doofed up a little bit there. What I admire about the Hollywood man is that he has a passion for his art. And he's going to make it happen. I was thinking about stuntman Barney, too. <laughs> that character rules. <laughs> yeah, you check it out, folks. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's on our minds. Uh, this week, we have an episode called Identity Crisis. Mm. We're taking a look at three films that came right after Al Pacino had basically crossed over into a superstardom in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, you know, by this point, this is right after his ma- massive run of the Godfather, Scarecrow, Serpico, Godfather 2, Dog Day. I mean, the, the kind of meat and potatoes of what we kind of have decided is what make, makes Al the legend he is. It, it, you could, one could argue that his, uh, you know, you can even throw Panic in there. Like his, yeah. from Panic to Dog, like it is like. Unstoppable. Maybe, yeah, maybe one of the best runs an actor has ever done, period. And the amazing thing is, it was only four years. So think about it. You were in high school for four years. What were you doing? Like, in, in those four years, Al Pacino was kicking ass and taking names. While you were reading Great Gatsby, Al Pacino was thinking about starring in The Great Santini. Yeah, perhaps. Or the, or the Redford version of The Great Gatsby. That would have been wild. Oh, that would be Al Pacino as Gatsby, or yeah. as the who's like the 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 stand-in who's like the Nick single? Nick Carraway. Nick Carraway is, is the, the uh, is yo yeah well the kind of um proto Stingo mm. if they're you know the ultimate Stingo. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. I think that on a a, a drunken, open-minded day, William Styron would have told you it was a big influence. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, that is kind of funny. That is like, <laughs> yeah, so these choices kind of like, yeah, like what if the Great Gatsby was real, I guess, mm-hmm. a little bit? Oh, that's a depressing thought. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. But but, uh, um, but these, these, these three films came in the, kind of the next wave. He's a star. Yeah. He's trying to kind of um, 
find his footing as a star. Like mm-hmm. one thing we've we've come to really admire about Al is that he's an actor first. Um, and because of that, though, now that he's thrown into the spotlight, you know, he's, you know, making big bucks, dating, um, dating co-stars, doing all, doing all the stars, getting nominated for Oscars. Right. Um, you know, he, he's in this place of kind of, he's, he's, I don't think he wants to, I also don't think he wants to get necessarily get pigeonholed as kind of the, um, you know, New York, New York street guy necessarily. Right. I think he's looking for a little bit more there. And I think that that's obviously incredibly clear in the first movie we're going to be discussing here. Um, but we're talking today about three films, 1977's Bobby Deerfield, 1979's Injustice for All, and 1982's Author, Author. And if you're keeping score at home, that will take us through 1983 in the complete Pacino um in the complete pacino catalog um we only have i'm sorry sorry. i was just gonna say we're only missing one movie uh in between uh 1989 and uh 1971 like we're only missing revolution full i mean we're talking full coverage here folks we've 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 taken a look at yeah then we jumped to 95 to two bits because we've covered it oh no we haven't covered glenn gary glenn ross yet in 1992 Mm. but uh but yeah, these are these are three very interesting movies. I think two of them are pretty oddly enough for a star as big as Al Pacino and kind of the talent behind and in front of the camera with him. Um, two pretty lost to time movies, all things considered. Uh, one of these movies, Injustice for All, I think has got a little bit more of a standing i think that's simply because it's got a line a a line in it that people misquote all the time oh yeah the uh the uh the famous uh this whole court's out of order i am the law yeah i am the law (laughs) you can't handle the truth (laughs) luke i'm your father yeah a real rite of passage though that an actor does have to play a young idealistic lawyer who is um who's um beliefs are tested and or uh confirmed or broken oh 100 percent. that is like yeah like that's the bar mitzvah for acting yeah it really is it's like can you believably play a lawyer well here you go tom cruise you're in a few good men yeah <laughs> yeah i was trying to name him in my head too like um ryan gosling and fracture came to mind i don't know if you remember that one. Oh no that's not chris um, evans uh, Chris Evans. Uh, Wait, no, I'm thinking of Chris Evans and Puncture. My bad. My bad. But uh, Michael B. Jordan just did it in that Just Mercy film. Ooh, that's a good, um, uh, that's an interesting movie. Yeah, there's, 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 there's definitely more than a few of them that has happened. And you know, I think when we jumped into this because, like, looking at kind of the ta- the ta- the taglines and kind of the the log lines to these three movies, I think we kind of had a feeling that Al had been miscast in all three of these movies but you know let's dive into them and see if we were right about Mm. that uh let's start things off 1977's bobby deerfield uh directed by sydney out of africa pollock returning to the podcast screenplay by alvin Sargent, based on a book by eric maria remarque called heaven has no favorites which i wish this i wish this film had been titled heaven has no favorites that's That's a a banging title yeah that slaps that's a great title uh 
co-starring Marte Keller. I mean, there's a few other folks in this. I recognize Jamie Sanchez from Wild Bunch. Um, but uh, if you look down the line in this film, a lot of the crew is European-based, which will make sense in just a moment why it's European-based. Uh, uh, cinematographer was Henri Decay, and music by this week's uh, Al Pacino all-star, Dave Grusin, who scored all three of the movies we're covering today so he's putting in the work oh, yeah. uh, this this week uh this film has a ooh 29 percent on rotten tomatoes um, <laughs> mean Ooh, yeah uh timeout magazine stated that the film is a classic example of a hollywood director being struck down by a lethal art attack as soon as he sets foot in europe um yeah the vibes of this movie are um I did get a nom. The GGs nominated out for best actor in a drama, um, probably because they wanted him to come to the show. <laughs> right. Uh, it's this is a um, interesting film. I'm I'm gonna just dive right in by saying. Um, so the the basic plot line is Al Pacino is a uh, American Formula One race car driver who's kind of. Um, having an existential crisis Mm. and he's and he meets a woman who is terminally ill with uh, clearly with the same cancer that Bobby Cannavale may or may not have had in Danny Collins never really defined cancer (laughs) I read a review from Roger Ebert and he called it um Allie McGraw syndrome Oh yes, uh, in yes. reference to love story, like it yeah. is very much like uh, don't worry, like it's it's one of those type of diseases where like yes, Al will like rub her head and a clump of her hair will fall out, but she looks uh, fine and is able to do stuff. Yeah, she still looks <laughs> like a movie star for the yeah, most. Yeah, she's part. like yeah, nothing seems like she's everything's chill. Like and that's the only hair she seems to lose. Yeah, um, that is like the one clump, the one. Yeah, clump and hair. she's played by Marte Keller, who I recognized from um, Marathon Man and mm. uh, Black Sunday, the oh, uh, the Bruce Dern Super Bowl terrorism movie. I have not seen that film, but I, I need to see it. Yeah, uh, good Dernsey. Um, mm. But this, uh, this, this film is really interesting. And just to start off with here, um, I, I was under the impression that uh, because Al was playing a race car driver, there would actually be a lot of race car stuff in this movie. Yeah. Folks, there ain't, there ain't a lot of race car stuff <laughs> no, in this no, movie. No. You, get, you get teased. It like, uh, you know, you get this first scene, you know, the first few moments, uh, but then like you realize like, is that like the dream? It's the key moment I was thinking of, or is there like a little bit of racing after that dream too? There is because he, he gets in a crash later right. on in the movie that I thought was good. The first time I thought the movie was going to end because I just thought it was going to be like, well, things don't work out with this lady, and he crashes his car yeah. and dies. I like, <laughs> like very seventies. Well, yeah, it shot well. I like that part. It's a gorgeous film. I yeah. want to say that right away. Like everything, Henri Decay's. Um, cinematography the editing um all of the european locations just man makes you want to travel oh, yeah. big time um and uh my wife will confirm hunk of the week al pacino <laughs> as bobby deerfield <laughs> as bobby deerfield oh my oh, goodness man oh he is such a, uh, his, he, his hair he, game is completely on point uh-huh. his costumes rock the house yeah. um yeah you could do worse than 
setting Bobby Deerfield as your fashion icon. He's so, dude, that like, uh, that like, he has like this sweater he wears, like this kind of like beige, yellowish, beigeish sweater. It's in between yellow and beige. Mm-hmm. Maybe goldenrod's the color. But like, uh, he has that and then his glasses. And it's like, God damn, man. This He's is got the these look. awesome sunglasses he's wearing the entire time. No, oh, yeah. Jen gasped when that scene showed up where he was wearing the, um, the white shirt that was open with the Serpico hat. But he wasn't Ooh. super coach. He was like, that's the best I've ever seen him look. And I was like, yeah, yeah uh, join the club. <laughs> yeah. See, this could be a stealth sequel to Serpico. That would have been. Well, this is. Yeah. What did Serpico get up to after he went into race car driving? Because he thought there was more ethical. Yeah. <laughs> more honor in race car more driving. More honor in Formula a... One race car driving than being a New York, New York cop who likes shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Got rid of all the animals. He's like, okay, I can't, I can't. Well, he this. can't take care of anything anymore. He's been crushed by life. That's true. And this movie, um, but I have to say, I, I, this movie really does the most remarkable thing. Most it does the impossible. You mm-hmm. think the impossible is not possible? Check out Bobby Deerfield because it makes Al Pacino kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, he is. It's truly maybe the. The sleepiest performance he's ever given. It's on purpose, but it's not like, and I, I, I keep looking back at that review about the art attack thing. This is very much Sidney Pollock getting a little chance to swing, mm-hmm. watching a couple too many Truffaut movies or something, and um, giving it a try. But like, I think he's just, I think all these people are too much of, too big of Hollywood men to, um, <laughs> To really get the existential vibe that those European films capture. Yeah. Well, I think the thing, too, is, like, the, there has to be something there with that. Like, you don't really get a sense of Bobby Deerfield as a character at all. Like, no. He, I mean, you, you, like, you have some, like, traits, right? Like, he's controlling. I get that. He wants to. He's logical. He's never going to take a risk until he, he needs. He likes a win. Yeah, and then and apparently he does the funniest Mae West impression in the world. Ooh. Apparently, it's like uh, God's gift to the earth is is Al Pacino doing this Mae West impression that is like like the brother is like his brother Leonard who he meets in a in a I guess like briefly. a briefly yeah briefly and, he's just the brother in the credits. Oh yeah, he's the brother. Yeah, it's so funny that they give him a name, but he's still just like the brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's, like it's, another, it's, it was another art attack movie. Yeah, that's a very that's a very art attack move. Yeah, like no, 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 and like uh, oh, man, because the brother is such a like weird um, like he's there, I guess, to give him like land that his grandma left him. It's a it's a very strange, and then it's never talked about again. No, never. It's a totally drop. Just a very this movie could have not had the brother at all, and it'd be the same. It would be the exact same movie. Yeah, yeah. Although you just, do get that just one a moment. And now, a word from our sponsor. On the track or off, time is important to all of us. And if you're like me, you want to know the correct time exactly, not a guess. That's why I'm never without my Seiko. Whether I'm driving a race at the Nürburgring or simply going out to dinner with friends, my Seiko is here on my wrist, telling me precisely the time and date information i need to know so whether you're a sportsman or not if accuracy and time is important to you try 24 hours with a seiko you'll never take 
but yeah, I, I think that the, yeah, this movie just like kind of like it's try. It really is trying to be one of these like existential movies, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't. There's no meat on the bones. Yeah, it, and I mean, it, I love all those. You know, we all heard on my top mm-hmm. twenty list i love all those movies yeah i totally do but all of, if you try and sit down and like do them i think that people mistake sometimes kind of just like moody looks and cool like lonely footage and like not talking or uh for making it like a script like that to be easy mm-hmm. and what those slower movies are doing um it's a really tough magic trick and that's what makes them so cool and special and they're like if you're on the wavelength with them you kind of get blown away by them mm-hmm. uh this is like all the like it, it you know it's like a to use a bobby deerfield thing it's like a beautiful ferrari with no engine yeah well or it's like you know like the the profundity they they think they have this profundity you, you get this sense when you watch this film that they're trying to make these statements about life like Bobby Deerfield is averse to risk, but uh, uh, whoa, whoa, a risk taker lady appears in his life that wants her to, you know, go on balloon, chase balloons and, you know. Salami uh, man. Salami man, all these, yeah. And it's like, uh, and it feels like the movie's, it's, it's trying to, it's about like Bobby Deerfield opening up, sort of. Sort of. Like, but it's it, just it, real- it, it has nothing to say. Yeah, it, it really at the end of the day has nothing to say. And I was thinking about that with like Pollock in a way. Like mm-hmm. he's a director who I like, but he he really like like if you look at the movie like Jeremiah Johnson, mm-hmm. it's basically like following in the footsteps of like McCabe and Mrs. Miller or um you know kind of the proto like the anti westerns of the seventies. Right, 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 right. Uh, you look at Three Days of the Condor, which I really like as well. Yeah. Um, which I, which I confused with the China syndrome and then Day of the Jackal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I got all my uh, 70s uh, uh, political thrillers confused. Yeah. And I think like I'm a, that's like, but that's like a, it's like not as, it's good, but not as good version of like Clute or the Parallax View, the Alan Pakula movies. Mm, interesting. And like, and and that isn't to say that he's like. I mean, because I think movies like Tootsie and I think movies like They Shoot Horses, don't they? Yeah. Are really incredible films. I just think that, um, you know, I and, I and actually looking at all three of the directors' work we're talking about today, these are all um, really like rock solid workman like directors. Yeah. But they're not auteurs necessarily. Yeah, they're kind of like kings of the mid-tier, and they all have like their own specific shticks. And they're good. All they've made a ton of really good mid-tier oh, yeah. movies. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's not a it's not a slight to call them. It's just like uh, it's like uh, yeah, like I love because like we're also going to be talking about a Norman Jewison film and an Arthur Hiller film, and they both like especially Arthur Hiller. Like some of his films are flat out because he did a Bonnie Clyde, right? And uh, no, that's uh, Arthur Penn. But God yeah, damn it. but yeah. I mean, Arthur Hiller, though, Arthur Hiller did the hospital. He did oh, the, the yeah, towners. Yeah. He did Silver Streak. Uh, I mean, mm. you know, he did Love Story, the aforementioned Ali McGraw picture. Man, man I am all over the place. I've got my puncture confused with fracture. 
I got Arthur Hiller confused with Arthur Penn. I need to I need to get all my things in straight. Yeah, get on your movie shit. <laughs> I need to go. I need to go to school. Movie school. Yeah. Movie school. Movie school. Patrick in session. Patrick in session. Michelle Pfeiffer walks up to you and turns her chair around and gets in her face. Ooh. Someone, uh, yeah, someone photoshopped back to school, but then like take out <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield's face and then put my face there. And then uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah let's let's see it let's see it i gotta check on her one more time yeah no worries no worries yeah i i think that this one just i mean there's a lot of elements that i actually would say are um like kind of catnip don catnip in movies mm-hmm. like i do like the, the mysterious like uh lonesome dude and sunglasses walking around fields yeah. and you know and all the looks and you know the the style is really good but i think again like even this style it seems like it's like <sighs> i'm trying some things that i saw other people do mm. A little bit, and no diss to Sidney Pollock at all. I, yeah, again, I think he's a terrific director, and I love him as an actor too. But um, this is this is a movie that I don't think is gonna like find a new audience necessarily later on. I just think it is what it is. I think twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes is probably too hard, but fifty wouldn't be bad. Yeah, it's um, like, do I did I hate watching it? uh no i didn't hate like it's like definitely like i think it goes down easier than uh the film of all three of these three that i liked the the least honestly it's like a very smooth film to watch it is uh, it's it's slow as hell and i say that as someone who likes slow movies but this one is a slow because but i also think because you're not particularly engaged yeah that's true it is super like well it's also because like nothing happens really it is like there's like yeah and like i just i think the thing that um that i have the most problem with in this film is it truly never justifies the relationship between martha kelly and like it's it's there's a scene in the movie where martha kelly like insults al pacino's character because she like wants to hitch with Al Pacino back to his home in, uh, I can't remember, like Italy, France, well, some part of Europe, a generic part of Europe. And like, she insults Al Pacino and in the normal world, like, if someone ins like I would just leave. Like it's crazy because like in the this it does they do this thing that only happens in newbies where like, because like she insulted him, it like besmirches his honor. And like she's and he's like, no, now you have to come with me. It's <laughs> yeah. it's it's so it's like it's literally just a thing that only happens in film. And it's so uh it just it's just I don't know. It's just like these two characters never justify justify well, their yeah. relationship. They, I mean I, I know that they actually the two of them actually dated in real life, but um I didn't really like buy their attraction no, in like, this movie that much. Um, yeah, and I just think it's, it was trying too hard because, like, to be enigmatic mm-hmm. and, like, using that as kind of, like, oh, you'll like it because it's European and enigmatic, but the thing about those European movies is that they genuinely have something to say. 
Yeah, or they have the yeah, character at least. Yeah. And like the moves that they make are incredibly calculated when it just feels like they're meandering or slow. They're mm-hmm. actually doing the pacing and every all those choices are there for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. and this one, they don't feel like any of, I mean, like, I mean, to get back to a few things, like the magician, there's this scene where they go watch a magician perform, and it's interesting, it's kind of fun, but it's like at the end yeah. of the day, like, I mean, what did, what did we, what did Bobby get out of any of it? Oh, it's, it's so, because like, what happens too is they like, it's like, uh, he, he's like, uh, asks, like, he has this conversation with Martha Keller, who's like, you know, do you think magic is real? And then Al Pacino is like, no, magic is not real. That is foolish or whatever. And, and then I like, don't believe in God. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> believe in God, which is okay. It's like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Uh, yeah, but, but that uh, seemed like also like a um, total, oh, it's European. Of course he doesn't, you know, it's like, yeah. it, has, it has nothing to do other than to be like attempt at being provocative. But the, but then like, goes into he's in the bar drinking he sees the magician he asks the magician how he does the trick and then the magician is like magic and then he shows him a coin and it does like he does like a hand trick with the coin gives him the coin and like Mm. like what was that i don't know i got nothing i guess it's like the film is like trying to say like you should be more like martha keller's character be open to things Maybe. But like, yeah, but it's just kind of sucked. It was just like a, and it's a, and it's a shame because I love the look of the magician. He has yeah, this blonde yeah, mustache. yeah. If if everybody looks, everything looks great. If yeah. you just want to watch a movie for like style inspiration, check out this movie. It's kind of frustrating because I really was kind of hoping this was going to be a, um, a surprise, a surprise gem. Um, I think Al does what he needs to do within the confines of what they're trying to accomplish in this thing. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think that the movie actually has any real like anything really to say at all. And um, because of that, it just doesn't really work. No. It's a it's a shame. It's yeah, because it's like a feels like a wasted, uh, wasted. But you waste Pacino. You waste this beautiful European, uh, you know, aesthetics. This like because it's it is a, a sumptuous film to watch. Like it is like yeah. um, like all the little the scenic vistas. Uh, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, you just yeah, you wish there was just a little more uh, depth. Yeah, just a little more juice to it. Really would have. Um... Mm-hmm. I think really would have taken it over the top. Yeah. Um, our next film, though, is not lacking at all in story, plot, or depth. <laughs> no, uh, oh god, it is jam packed with stuff. And of course, we're talking about 1979's *The Justice for All*, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Norman Jewis and written by Valerie Curtin and an old friend, Barry Levinson. Whoa, of, uh, the um, the HBO cycle, um, <laughs> co uh, co-starring a lot of people. This is this is we're back at it with al in the united states with a bunch of great actors oh yeah uh, jack warden john forsyth lee strasberg mm-hmm. uh jeffrey tambor christine lottie 
um thomas waits from the thing i don't know if you uh you good to see him um craig t nelson of silkwood back in the mix yep um dominic chiani's uncle jr from sopranos who turns out was in like every al pacino movie we're learning um he's like al pacino's john ratzenberger yeah i caught uh joe morton as the prison Mm -hmm. doctor from terminator 2 Um, oh yeah i saw that too he was there and um yeah just packed uh cinematography by victor j kemper uh who we have know from um doing dog day afternoon mm-hmm. as well uh music again by dave grusen this one uh was budgeted at four million made 33.3 um tasty hit yeah, Bonafide Smash. Bonafide, uh, 24th highest grossing film of 1979, uh, sitting at 81% at Rotten Tomatoes. Um, also, uh, I'd never have seen this before. Zagat gave the film 23 of 30 <laughs> possible points overall. Now, how, what these points mean, I don't know, but I'm going to exp- read some more. Um, the quality of acting received a 26 out of 30. So that sounds pretty good if you ask me. Yeah. Oh wow. I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes too. I see this movie was awarded three Michelin stars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Better uh, the than Lobster Newberg. Story in production got a 22, and um, uh, where 20 to 25 represents very good to excellent 26 to 30 extraordinary to perfection look at that who knows uh, <laughs> who let's knows make a, let's make zagat film critics that sounds so fun yeah well, i'm very curious what like julian julia got when a crossover <laughs> kind of thing both food and film uh big night was got a 30 out of 30 greatest film ever made <laughs> yeah uh, 90 for two academy awards though uh best actor al pacino Mm-hmm. And best original screenplay. Uh, Al was uh, nominated for a uh, Golden Globe for his performance. Um, and our, our friend um, Simon Helberg on the show Big Bang Theory and his character, his, his uh, acclaimed character Howard Wolkwitz uh, in one episode yelled, you're playing D&D, you're playing D&D, this whole apartment is playing D&D. So uh, Cosme McMoon had it again. <laughs> Oh wow, he's done it, folks! Wow. Yeah, um, will, I, will I watch Big Bang Theory? Uh, only time will tell. Maybe that's uh, the maybe that's the thing that gets me to do it. And I just just looked it up, real time action here. Uh, this was from the 2010 edition of Zagat's book, Zagat: The World's Best Movies to Make Sure You Have Seen Before Your Popcorn Runs Out. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> oh wow um so a little background on this one because this one has a little bit this this set of the three has a lot more um because due to its like status as a hit having a big like all-time line and um general critical acclaim there's a lot more kind of background details out there mm-hmm. on this movie um pacino's in character the entire time to the point where uh people were calling him arthur and he was t- calling Lee Strasberg grandpa, even mm. though at one point, I guess Lee Strasberg did tell him to tone it down on the improv. <laughs> um, the movie, uh, Barry Levinson said that uh, for all you green nightheads that out there, actually, um, that it's based on Arthurian myth, King Arthur. And that's mm. why he's named Arthur. And, um, you know, I, I've seen the green knight, but I can't explain 
I'm no no expert. I I we read it in college, but yeah. I don't, I'm not going back in time and doing it again. Does not seem. Um, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, I, can't the, the, I can't say if that is if Barry's claim works or not. Yeah, um, I will say. I wonder if my uh, my question then is like, would this movie be improved be improved if there were just a bunch of nude giants, just uh, giant giant nude giants? I mean, maybe some jousting. Maybe some jousting, yeah. Or maybe like at one point, there's like a lawyer who's like, uh, "I'm better at law than any of you. Whoever kills me, I'll." I'll kill you. You know, he like cuts off like a lawyer's head and the lawyer's head talks and was like, I'll be back in a year to fight you. I was going to say like, um, you know, like giving a Joel Edgerton style random kisses, but uh, <laughs> that actually does seem in character for many of the people in this film. Yeah. So, um, oh God. Yeah. Like, a, oh God. Oh brother. <laughs> uh, so the basic storyline is, is Al Pacino plays a Baltimore defense attorney, Arthur Kirkland. Um, who's got a lot of things going on. Um, yeah. He, uh, so he, he, we've got basically three concurrent cases that are happening all throughout this. There's the case of uh, poor Ralph Agee, who was convicted of a small crime uh, and um, is not, both of, two of his uh, people are definitely not built for prison and they would have big trouble if he, if they ended up going to prison. The mm-hmm. other is a uh, wrongfully accused Jeff McCullough. Mm-hmm. And then the final is um, esteemed judge, Henry T. Fleming, who is accused of um, a sex crime. And yeah. uh, Al's gonna, Al is kind of juggling all of them. And the big, the, the big thing in this movie is that much like um, going back to Serpico even, or even the insider later on is this kind of character of, the only ethical man left standing mm-hmm. and everyone around them is to varying degrees corrupt to monstrous. And um, this one is a very interesting film folks, because and I think it kind of boils down to probably what Norman Jewison wanted to do versus what Valerie Curtin and Barry Levinson were trying to do in the screenplay. Mm. Um, there are moments in this movie that border on like a surreal absurdism. Yeah. And are trying for laughs, trying for genuine laughs. But um, Norman Jewison, who of course directed um, movies like In the Heat of the Night, uh, The Hurricane, Fiddler on the Roof, The Hurricane, The Great Moonstruck. Mm. Um, he's like kind of more interested in like a grounded realism. Mm -hmm. And frankly, what happens in this script, while it could lead to like absurd kind of places, some pretty grim stuff goes down. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, and to the one, the real joy of the film is watching Al Pacino just kind of stand under the grim waterfall and let oh, them let it all hit him and just be very, very upset about the entire thing. He is so world wary. Like he's so weathered. Like it's yeah. so funny that like this came out like after Bobby Deerfield and mm. it looks like he's aged 10 years in between both films. Like the, like, like the, like the, the bags under his eyes. Damn. Tired. And interestingly enough, the film that followed this was cruising. Which um, <laughs> I thought he had like kind of that same like hollowed look on his uh, in his face in this one as he did in cruising. Oh, 100 um, percent. This is a far more oh, like the thing about this one is Al Pacino gets this character. He knows what he's doing. 
Mm-hmm. And he, he, he like, he's swinging for the fences. Oh, he commits with, this, with yeah. this guy. He's fully committed. Um, you know, I did read in Karina Longworth's book that a lot of people felt that this was the first performance he did. And, you know, looking at his roster of films, that does sound pretty believable. This was the first performance that he did that felt like to critics, like, oh, this is Al doing Al things. Mm. Uh, which is, you know, because I think that there's there's certainly um, Serpico elements in this. There's certainly Dog Day Afternoon mm. elements in this one. Um, yeah, I mean, those two probably the closest to what's happening. But yeah. I mean, I like I like Arthur. I think Arthur is a good character. I think he's an exciting character. I liked I really liked following Arthur around, you know, instead like bobby deerfield was so inactive he was boring arthur is like always moving and he's always got something going on and you know what he believes in completely Mm -hmm. and i i I, he's an enjoyable guy but even him like interestingly enough like you know he's the most ethical man in baltimore but he still like comes on to and ends up sleeping with the head of the ethics committee that's looking into him yeah well it's interesting because like yeah he is like uh, i think something why something i like about this character too is that he is so um like you meet him he's uh you're introduced to him in jail and someone's like a a stream of piss is like going under his shoes like it and we find out he's in jail because he punched the judge that he ends up representing Presenting later on yeah um and i know it sounds a little to you folks like okay so how does he end up representing this judge it's kind of hard to explain but it works in the movie on how he ends up there in essence he's blackmailed into it because this judge is like how would i of course i'm innocent when a lawyer who hates me is defending me Mm. um but they also are holding something over arthur's head that you know a um an ethical error on his, well, not ethical error, but lawyerly error on his mm-hmm. part that could lead to disbarment. Um, and on that note, speaking of lawyerly errors, uh, <laughs> we need to mention his partner, his part law partner, Jeffrey Tambor, who is going big. He's he's clearly he's like I get to co-star with Al Pacino, so I'm taking some I'm taking some risks. <laughs> um, yeah, he is, it is. It's a nutty performance. What he's doing in it. It, it very much like. I feel like this movie is trying to, or at least like the tone it's trying to achieve is almost like the tone of a, like Scrubs, where like Scrubs can simultaneously be wacky and also like deadly serious when it wants to be. And it just yeah, doesn't and that's have... A, well, that's a hard thing to balance out. I mean, oh, I see yeah. that as someone who was not a Scrubs fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so funny. I rewatched Scrubs like maybe like three years ago and like it was aged like milk, my friend. And I think not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you brought up a great point earlier. You compared it to the the film, the hospital. Yeah. I like this movie more than the hospital. Oh, same. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. The, I, the hospital is like too, uh, I, my problem with the hospital is it's far too, um, uh, what's the word I'm like? It's like, uh, well, it's Patty Chayefsky kind of scolding from his soapbox, yes, through the uh, characters, reactive or reactionary. It's too, yeah. Reactive. Uh, and I, I feel like, despite the fact there's clearly a political and social agenda to this movie, mm-hmm. um, Al Pacino as Arthur is so compelling. Mm-hmm. I get lost in kind of like, what is he gonna do? How is he gonna get out of this, these moments? 
mm-hmm. more so that I'm like stuck in like kind of the political posturing of the mm-hmm. of the of the creative team. Right. Yeah, and I think that you know, despite the weird tonal stuff, you definitely want to hang with Arthur. Like this movie, really, I think this was a fast two hours. This movie, hundred mm-hmm. um, percent, yeah. And there was like, there's a couple of things too. Like, so uh, Lee Strasberg, uh, who we all know as the acting guru, uh, guy Al Pacino looked up to, and probably most known actually as Hyman Roth in Godfather Two, uh, appears in this as uh, Arthur's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And boy, from their first scene together, there was just like this like familial warmth. Like Al, you could tell just as like, I'm so happy to be here acting mm-hmm. with acting with him again. And I admire him so much. And you can see, you, you get the sense when Al's in scenes with um, John Cazale in the same vein. It just, there's just this level of comfort that really, you can really sense mm-hmm. with them. And that's great. Um, Jack Warden, who, you know, million, he's in a million movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's he's like- good in all of them. Mm-hmm. And this is like the type of role he's playing as the role that like Rip Torn would play had the film been made in '95. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it, he's irascible. He's irascible. Mm-hmm. He's but he's uh, authority. Yeah. Um, but you know, like Rip Torn, Jack Warden is just like this like pro's pro though, who can come in and just oh, I believe him. He's good. Yeah. You know, even even when he straddled, so there's a scene in this where he takes Al Pacino flying in a helicopter. It does not really advance the story any, but no. they are certainly in this helicopter talking about Al Pacino being afraid of heights for a long time. Um, I mean, this movie could have been like a hot 95 minutes, which really would have been something. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean I really like what I, the other I did what I really loved about the pacing in this movie is like Al Pacino would like mildly put out one fire leave the room and then someone else would come up to him with another problem and you're just like oh my like yeah tough week tough week for Arthur Kirk. oh yeah because like it'd be like uh he'll uh, be in the middle of he'll be like having a fight with like a lawyer and then another lawyer will pull him inside and be like hey your friend just shaved his head and started throwing like gla- uh, like, uh, like plates. plates yeah yeah oh man <laughs> I bought that scene. I did buy that scene. So Jeffrey Tambor, in, in his best scene in the movie is actually the scene where he reveals what's been bothering him uh, because it's really believable. Basically, yeah. um, he admits that because they're all defense attorneys and uh, he got a guy off who he knew was a murderer, but he did his job and he won. And then this guy just killed two kids. And yeah. Jeffrey Tambor is um, shattered by that. Yeah. Rightfully and you know, believably so. No, believably totally. So. It is like a a great like uh like it does show you how like soul crushing it is to be because like the way this film like plays the law, like lawyers in theory are not like they're cogs. Like they shouldn't they shouldn't have like opinions or like they're supposed to like do their job to the best of their ability. And it's like, yeah, and if you can't, like, divorce yourself from that, it's soul-crushing. Well, it has absolutely nothing to do with, like... Justice. Traditional (laughs) morality, though. It has everything to do with what is written down and how to work within what is written down to the advantage. You know, he says it before, at the end, to Craig T. Nelson. He's like, this guy wants to win. 
mm-hmm. you know, and he's going to do what he can to win. And you, that's the mindset you have to, if you're going to be successful in, in that area of law. I mean, I, I'm a legal assistant, but I've never worked in any area of law that involved um, like human frailty. Yeah, <laughs> that would be the word. Um, <laughs> I feel you. Um, but yeah, and yeah, it's interesting because Karina Longworth in the book, in her book, really brought this interesting point about like the differences between Arthur Kirkland and Frank Serpico. Because mm-hmm. both of them are kind of these like loners within the system who have a standard that they try to live by. But like at the end, Arthur Kirkland is just like cynically laughing about like, Jesus, what a terrible world. I'm just done. Yeah. <laughs> and and Frank st- Serpico is still pissed off that he couldn't do more. You know, it's mm-hmm. what a difference, you know, eight years make. In the in the in the Pacino canon of kind of these attitudes, and you know, and heading into the eighties, almost it is almost like a early seventies to early eighties kind of attitude. You know, the, um, yeah. You know, I'm gonna fight the system, and boy, the system's just unstoppable, man. I'm just gonna like fucking drop out. This sucks. Yeah, you know? this is this is killing me. This is like, yeah, this is uh, this is uh, this is like I'm in the maw of a of a huge beast i can't even see the eyeballs of like it's yeah yeah and and every everyone around me whether it's my friends whether it's the woman i'm kind of interested in whether it's superiors um Mm. all are a mess at best they're a mess at best and deathly corrupt and and that should bring us to um so there's this very, very, and we hate him immediately because he's a pompous conservative asshole. Yeah. This judge, this judge Henry T. Fleming, played by John Forsyth, in a great performance. Like, oh yeah, it's really a memorable performance. Um, and he is just a prick. He does not like Arthur at all, mm-hmm. and thus we don't really like him for it. But he's just inflexible. He doesn't. He seems to have no human compassion whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then, about you know what, fifty minutes in the movie, we find out he's been arrested for um, beating and sexually assaulting a woman. Uh, and they're like, "Oh, that seems odd." Yeah. And then, of course, that leads to kind of the way the movie turns. That Al Pacino ends up kind of forced into the position to defend him as his defense attorney. And what we find out is that. Um, not only does he think people should get the death penalty for um, like shoplifting. Yeah. Um, he did it. He did all of it. Everything he's, like, he's been accused ugh. of. He's a complete and utter monster. Yeah. And uh, he's so just like, a he's bad, a hypocrite. Bad he's evil. Like he's yeah. totally, he's, he is like this guy who like initially, like he touts the law so much in the beginning of the film. <sighs> He, he frames himself as like, I'm the alternate stickler for the law. I follow the law by the word. And he's, he's, he's exactly what all of these conspiracy theorists are afraid of, which is this um, power elite Skulls, who's also a total freak sicko. Yeah, he's like and, a super pervert. Yeah, yeah, he's a really bad guy and cruel, a cruel monstrous of cool monster of a man mm-hmm. and the more al pacino learns about that the more al pacino see you see like how soul being sucked out of him just oh. like this is just like and then <laughs> simultaneously we we had mentioned the two young men who he's been defending who are not um 
kind of built for the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is gonna be, you know, we're, we're talking spoilers here, especially I think with this movie. Um, yeah. They both die. I literally, they both die. It sucks. <laughs> you see one of them die. You see one of them die. Just like uh, there's um, the uh, windows, uh, Thomas Waits. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, Cause like he's in jail for like such a mic. Cause it's like it's like a ticket or something. Al, Al does that wonderful. Al does that wonderful monologue explaining the entire thing to Christine yeah. Lottie, which is really great. And then she's so cold about it. She's like, "Well, you know, whatever." It's like, no, this guy no. got fucking railroaded, man. Like Jeff didn't deserve this at all. Oh, it's so it's so soul crushing. It is it, like it yeah. really is. And there's this part after um, death of Ralph. Mm-hmm. Just, just as just as brutal who commits suicide Whoa. in a prison cell due to a, a, a clerical error made by somebody subbing for Al Pacino because Al Pacino had to deal with the judge mm-hmm. um, it's like even Al the just nice like sits back against time. this wall mm-hmm. and just starts like muttering god damn god and then screaming at you're just like this is the only logical response here and this is also why because these moments are so powerful and i think like worthwhile that the kind of comedy stuff in the movie mm-hmm. hurts the movie and that's why this doesn't make i don't think this movie makes serpico or dog day afternoon levels because and also dog day knew how to knew where to place the jokes a lot better than this movie did a hundred percent well like the mo- dog day like he, they play, yeah, they place the jokes. Everything feels realistic in Dog Day Afternoon or, like, in a way that uh, Injustice for All sometimes does not. Like, there are mm-hmm. scenes, like the, you know, aforementioned helicopter scene where it's like, ah, this is, like, this is something that would just happen in a movie. Like, it feels very, yeah. like, um, movie-ish. Yeah, and I, I think that the movie, I think Norman Jewison was kind of on to something by trying to just make it terrible just make it terrible and put basically because the movie has this wonderful trajectory. So ends with this big court scene, probably the most famous scene in the movie mm-hmm. where uh, it's the opening day of court where Arthur has to defend this judge who we and Arthur know is a monster and completely yeah. and utterly guilty. And the poor girl who is the victim um, is sitting right there watching it all. And it's just, it, and the guy's um, leering at her. It's not, it's not pleasant. Um, so Al gets up to do his um, his opening statement, and it starts off as a fairly traditional. He, you can tell he's a good lawyer and doing his thing, um, but you're also wondering. Like I was really on the edge of my seat on how, because I'd never seen it before. Uh, like on how how was Al gonna like settle this? <laughs> like he's his back was against the wall. Like they did such a good job with the with the chess pieces. And mm-hmm. getting him to this place and for you to really care about like, okay, what's he going to do? Because we want him to get this judge, man. We hate this judge. Mm-hmm. And we know that Arthur maybe doesn't need a win, but he needs to kind of like put his foot down. Fine. Like ever, the world is uh, out of order. <laughs> yeah. um, and so <laughs> and I was watching Jen's face and, she was like half crying and half smiling when he goes, because he's fucking guilty. <laughs> and, and, he, and he just throws the judge under the bus in his opening statement, which is going to get him disbarred. We know that because we've learned the rules of yep. the game, which is another good thing. They, they have laid out the rules of what's at stake so well 
so that no matter what so if he goes through with it and he like does his job he's defending this monster mm-hmm. but if he blows up and decides not to he's more than likely never going to be a lawyer again and we know how much he cares about lawyering um but the right thing to do as a good guy is to sacrifice his career to destroy uh, this man basically yeah it and is, yeah. even though he's the, the judge probably is never going to jail because it's going to be a mistrial because his attorney lost his mind in the courtroom but you know thankfully hopefully this will keep judge fleming from um <laughs> being named to reagan supreme court like three years from now um but yeah pacino launches into this pretty amazing very al pacino monologue that he's just screaming his head off about kind of just all the themes of the movie basically and then of course leads to uh the judge who jack warden is the judge in this moment uh telling him he's out of order and we all know what that means you're out of order you're out of order this whole trial is out of order they're out of order and um it it kind of it's it's really good I mean, it feels like the same thing as when you see him do say hello to my little friend. Like, there's a reason these things last. Yeah, there really is. Like, they're good moments. They're good movie moments. And I think that that's maybe why this movie hurts a little bit more because this movie has got like strong three and a half out of five star vibes. Mm-hmm. But boy, did it have like four and a half to five star potential. A hundred percent. It is like a movie where like had this film like just. um Kind of figured out its tone and yeah. then, yeah, shaved like, yeah, 15 to 30 minutes of unnecessary, like, uh, like get rid of the, the, the helicopter scene, maybe get rid of some of the goofier, like, you know, when they're all, b- 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 tool, you know, playing around in the bathroom and like, oh, insane. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, just should, a- should you explain that part? So they're all excited that the judge that they hate, Fleming, got arrested. Yeah. And these, Tambor and the other goon. Uh, yeah, it's like Arnie. Larry Brigman. Yeah. Yeah, or is it Larry? Oh, yeah, it's Larry Brigman Warren. Yeah. Um, are just dancing around Al Pacino, laughing, and they're like, oh yeah, and it's just, and they're they're saying the art, not the R word, but they're saying rape a lot, and it's very. Oh, like, and they're like so happy, and despite like, the they, fact that they're not like rooting it on or anything like that, they're no. happy. They're just see, happy to see this scumbag get it. Um, yeah. Regardless, it's. You lose the sense of the power of the moment by how uncomfortable it makes oh, you. Oh, totally. It's like, like yeah. <laughs> especially, like, when you know about, like, the allegations Jeffrey Tambor has had. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, it's, yeah. It he, just he, doesn't. It doesn't and, work. I mean, I, you know, I know, yeah, there, I, I think Jeffrey Tambor is a very good actor. But oh, I think totally. he's, um, yeah, I clearly. That scene, there, he looks like a ghoul. Like, <laughs> clearly, there, clearly there's, there's massive issues there that, you know, probably beyond to, our purview or anything like that you know yeah but, yeah no, but certainly there have been allegations um but yeah i think like yeah if they just got the tone a little bit more solid yeah the, and and i only i think you could like okay so like one a movie i think is a masterpiece is the verdict with uh paul newman directed mm-hmm. by Sidney lament written by david mamet uh, a lot of our old friends um where you know Newman is this alcoholic ambulance chaser mm. lawyer 
who gets a case that basically saves his soul mm-hmm. but he has to like sacrifice and like and has a big courtroom speech at the end of it but it's a much more somber it's not it's there's nothing really nothing really comedic about it um it would have been neat to see like that and, and that side of things but with Al Pacino's energy like let him do the big speech at the end let him freak out at the end because that's what you know Paul Newman is good at like quiet dignity and charming dignity mm-hmm. Al Pacino's good at um indignation like, yeah <laughs> like fiery indignation <laughs> yeah be, being put upon yeah and then not taking it just yep. being really pissed off about it and then probably losing in the end but being pissed off about it all the way through yeah um but that isn't to say like i think he i actually think he's quite brilliant in this movie mm-hmm. yeah I, um you know we're gonna talk about it with all three of them in a moment here um this but i'll just jump jump the gun this would have been an easy tournament movie i think oh yeah in terms of based on the tournament rules of performance only um this is key. I think this is a key Al Pacino performance, actually. Yes. I think it's like, um, this is kind of like, I think I 100% agree with Karina, what Karina Longworth said. The, I guess what people were saying at the time where this is, this does seem like a very formative uh, Al Pacino like work. Like it, you do see like, I feel like this is like really the first movie with that like hardcore Al Pacino pattern. Like yeah, yeah, like that. He has that like specific spiccato in a lot of it. Should be noted too. He, it sounds like he's attempting a Baltimore type accent oh, all throughout yeah. this movie too, which is uh, bold, bold yeah. choice. But no like, one else, no one else is joining him on that journey. And this, oh, everyone, no. everyone else is just uh, being pros and doing their thing. Yeah, but, um, so yeah. Tambor sounds like Tambor. Lottie sounds like Lottie. Nobody's warden is yeah. warden. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and um, but yeah, and I know that on this one too, like. You know, we mentioned earlier he was in character the entire time. Um, he this is also around the time period that he was beginning to kind of get a little um, his methody intensity was starting to fray the nerves mm. a little bit of some of his coworkers. <laughs> and uh, him and Jewison, you know, they said it later on they had a good time together, but supposedly quite fraught on set between the two of them mm-hmm. um and you know some people have suggested it may just be because al pacino doesn't want to learn his lines but um and so he thinks he can improvise his way out of everything which is not a safe choice for most mm-hmm. people uh despite the fact he's probably a good improviser right i would guess but um mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think all of these kind of we talked about the identity crisis while we handle an internet snafu, please enjoy a trailer for a film we'll be discussing on an upcoming episode of the pod, Righteous Kill. My name is David Fisk. Detective first grade. I've been a cop for over 30 years. You don't become a cop because you want to serve or protect. You join the force because they let you carry a gun and a badge. What? Between the eyes. <laughs> Respected and feared. You think I won't blow your head off? I wouldn't think twice about it. Most people respect the badge. Everybody respects the gun. No struggle, no forced entry. Hey, nobody wants to hear about your private life, Officer Corelli. I am forced to dismiss all charges of rape and assault. When you walk outside, watch your back. Get him out of here. 
fingerprints and obviously takes pride in his work. They've lost the one thing that made them untouchable. Anyone gonna say it? Trust in each other. It's a cop, it's a cop, it's a cop. Oh, this is fun. My suspect field They don't exactly know that Teresa. You guys think my partner's a serial killer. Robert De Niro. Al Pacino. Just saying a chess game, partner. Who knows? Maybe it is. Whatever happens, I'm not taking it down with me. And my, what you did, that was gorgeous. Put the gun down. Get your hands off me. All you gotta do is be bait. Drop your gun right now! Yeah, your boy come here and go ahead and collect on my ass. I don't want Jody fucking Foster coming through the door. Put the gun down. Turks a good cop. And if you don't back him, you will regret it. But yeah, this is. I think that yeah, these these three movies, basically, you know, he's he's in the process of kind of he's gained acclaim, he's gained money, he's gained power, he's gained stardom, he's gained a lot of say on set. This isn't the same days where he thought he was going to get fired all the time on The Godfather or something like that, or he was trying to prove himself as like the stud of the hour and like Serpico. Right. Um, you know, he is a star. He's got his movies are now anticipated. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's looking for things that I think, you know, can kind of like help him be remain true to his core being an actor, but also, um, you know, kind of work within star power and maybe stretch a little bit too you know mm. bobby deerfield where he's taking away all of his like al level charisma to do kind of an arty walking around thing and you know you know who i was thinking for bobby deerfield actually crazy mm-hmm. one clint eastwood that works i think that's crazy but like it's like i see it in the I, this is gonna sound weird i can see clint eastwood wearing that same like uh mm-hmm. um what's a sweater turtleneck sweater yeah yeah, he looks like he doesn't like Iger sanction or something like yeah. that. You know what um, I will um know who I'm gonna say for uh Injustice for All that's crazy? Who's that? Gene Wilder. <laughs> I would see uh, oh, yeah, Gene... if you're if you're gonna lean into the farcical, yeah, the dark satirical comedy aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. If you Definitely. could do if you if you went like a full on black comedy, because there are yeah. moments where like like a, a Gene Wilder explosion would be like funny if they like except you'd have to really it's it's hard that's such a like a black a truly black comedy is like and they have moments in this movie that are like yeah you know just funny from like the shock value in that regard uh like there are just some like there are some they're not funny they're like they're crazy maybe they're crazy is a better term than funny i don't know definitely shocking yeah yeah and i think um I mean, I think Al's pretty. Uh, we like Al as Arthur Kirkland oh, here, so he's I mean, great. I don't, he's perfect, I'm yeah. not thinking about, yeah, recast him or anything like that. Um, but yeah, he's just kind of, and obviously, this continues on the next year in Cruising, mm-hmm. uh, which we talked about a few episodes before. Um, another movie where he seems, you know, he seems a little confused, frankly, on what mm-hmm. he's doing, yeah, and a little lost and mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes tension with the director on that one too um that one had a lot of other things going on for it 
yeah. that probably didn't help in the stress levels. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're both like, yeah, and they both in both movies, Al Pacino looks like he took one sip from the uh, the wrong uh, goblet in yeah. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like not a yes. full, not a full, like just like a just like a drop of water, just just enough to make him look like just entirely world weary and just like. He's beginning, yeah, he's just starting to age too. He's no longer, you know, I mean, obviously, you're right though, the two year difference between Bobby Tearfield and Justice for All, who knows what happened, but yeah, uh, he's definitely already older. I mean, you know, but he's like 37 when he oh. did Bobby Deerfield, and he's 39 at Justice for All. Oh, that's right. He looks great for, I mean, he's still yeah, like, I mean, he still yeah. looks awesome. Like, yeah, he still he's, looks yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to, and it's not like, it's not even like a physical thing, just as much as like he, it looks like he's not sleeping at all. That's yeah, it. yeah. And it's probably in character for both Justice and Cruising. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we did talk about how we thought he was too old for Cruising on yeah, that episode, too. It is truly crazy. Like, Playing yeah, the he... role of Steve Burns by a man <laughs> who clearly looks like someone named Steve Burns. Yeah. Although we got, I mean, Bobby, he's no Bobby Tearfield either. Which that is weird. Is there's there's a fine tradition of Italian um, Formula One drivers. They could have made him have a given him Italian last name with ease and uh, oh, a hundred percent, totally believable and yeah, not not really change anything else. Yeah, it is like yeah, it's like it's like why yeah, because like Bobby, that's like the that's like a Robert Redford character. One hundred percent, yeah, and I and because Pollock worked with Redford so many times, there is a part of it is like. Did he swing this over to Redford first? Mm. And did Redford say no? Because he was because he, he he could smell the he could smell the stink off of Bobby Deerfield already. Yeah. <laughs> Not for me, sir. Jeremiah Johnson. I think we need to uh, develop this script a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Give me like a character beyond likes order as brother. But uh, here is a. Uh, here's a transition for you. Speaking of uh, working on that script a little bit more, hmm. let's move to 1982's author, author. Oh man, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, he, where he's working on English for Tears. English for Tears with his lead actress Alice Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> what a great! That's one of the great movie names. I kept, I kept, I kept thinking. I, I was trying to remember her name. I was like, what is, it, is her name like Jesse Alcatraz? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, what like, is this like? <laughs> Yeah, like Tanya Indianapolis, like what? Yeah. <laughs> Louise Boston? <laughs> Jenna Pittsburgh? All these are, if you ever do improv ever again, terrific names to bless your improv teammates when yeah. you're on stage. Yeah. They will, if they are any good at all, they will take that and run with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, call yeah, please. Yeah, call your if you're an improviser, call your uh next uh call your your teammate, you know, in a <laughs> in a scene, call him like John North Gary. <laughs> yeah, Jason Manzukis would tell you that's enough. You don't need to label anything else and you will have a funny scene. <laughs> <laughs> He would know. Um, Arthur, author, author, again, 1982, directed by Arthur Hiller, uh, written by Israel Horowitz, mm. uh, produced by Erwin Winkler, uh, co-starring Diane Cannon, Tuesday Weld, uh, Bob Dishy, Alan King, um, also in a very small role, uh, Andre Gregory from My Dinner with Andre. Oh, I didn't see him. Who At the he top, is? he's the first director who gets fired. Oh, that's funny. That yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, cinematography by... Victor J. Kemper, who we've already, who we hung with, with um, the last, uh, and Justice for All. 
Also, Ooh. and uh, Dog Day Afternoon here for this. And of course, music by Dave Grusin. Mm. Uh, $13.1 at the box office, which is pretty good uh, for this film. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one, uh, much like Bobby Deerfield, I do not see a Rotten Tomatoes score, but um, not particularly good reviews. Um, got a uh, nominee for a Razzie Award. Worst original song for coming home to you. Um, uh, Al was nominated, though, for a Gigi for best actor. Shocker in musical comedy. Um, yeah. Uh, the the critic Jay Scott of the Globe and the Mail said the, br- the brood is composed of the most appalling set of exhibitionist child actors. This side of eight is enough. And felt <laughs> that the comedy is not funny, is, ba- is not funny and is bad enough. That it is resoutly and maliciously anti-female is unforgivable. Jay, you might be onto something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's nothing. Uh, Newsweek's Jack Kroll said there's nothing sadder than a movie that tries to be adorable and isn't. Uh, the author, author tries so hard that the screen seems to sweat. Oh uh, God. <laughs> it, um, Roger Ebert was also unimpressed. He gave it two stars, um, and he simply said. And this this relates well. Roger was um, probably thinking about the Academy Academy podcast to come even 40 years later. Uh, right, right. When he said, what's Pacino doing in this mess? What's happening to his career? <laughs> uh, well, now there's a podcast that's going to be discussing what was happening to his career. <laughs> um, this one, if Bobby Deerfield was a noble miss, this one I think is just a miss. Yeah. Um, this one. Uh, so Israel Horowitz uh, wrote the play, the Indian wants the Bronx, which was a gigantic off Broadway play that Al Pacino and John Cazale were in, in 1968. That kind of started the relationship between all these guys kind of broke them all. Mm. Uh, Israel Horowitz also probably best known today as the father of ad rock, from the Beastie Boys. Wow. Uh, Adam Horowitz. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, probably, man. Probably his greatest contribution to popular culture. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, honestly, probably. But the film was based on his personal experience as a divorced father. Um, probably didn't have like 18 children like um, Al does in this one. Um, it's a um, apparently very very difficult shoot uh al pacino and arthur hiller did not get along at all over the course of the shoot al pacino said sometimes people are not really meant to be together uh who are not meant to get be together get together in this business for a short time it's very unfortunate for all parties concerned um he thought it would be enjoyable because it was like a guy deal with his kids deal with new york and show business thought it would be fun he liked working with the kids um yeah, he's the, so the basic storyline is Al Pacino plays Ivan Trevelyan, uh, hotshot Broadway playwright, uh, who is struggling with a new play. And his wife, Gloria, who's played by Tuesday Weld, uh, moves out, leaving him with custody of five children, four from her previous marriages, mind you, mm-hmm. and his own biological son. Uh, how long, Patrick, runtime wise, were you able to figure out whose kids were who? Uh, I think I made it. Never, like, I think it was like yeah, yeah, I think it was like forty-five minutes, maybe like the same. Where like 
I, when everyone started like going, it kind of is like, oh wow. So he's left with these two, one of which is his like biological <laughs> yeah. son. Yeah, um, they're all precocious know, like, to, though. To quote our friends, the birthday boys, that's a family. <laughs> oh, hundred yeah. percent. And and it's like it's so funny watching this movie. Like we watch Kramer versus Kramer, right? And this is definitely movie- him trying to get a little bit of Dusty's juice. Like from from Kramer versus but, Kramer. But the thing about Kramer versus Kramer is they do such a good job of showing how hard it is to be like a single a single parent. In this movie, it's like the kids the, raise themselves. Well, I mean, we 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 developed a hashtag for this. It's hashtag Dad's Rock. Yeah, because that's what this movie really is about: is dads being awesome. Oh yeah, he's- <laughs> hell yeah! It's like you know who all of his stepkids want to live with him because he's yeah. a rad dad. Oh, <laughs> and they're all you bet they love they all love him and his wacky uh, his uh, you know the way he like berates his one son for like taking too long to pee. Yeah, uh, his <laughs> healthy food and no, his quirks. Maybe the worst oh my god when they're at that fucking restaurant and well, they go eating... to they go to elaine's they go to fucking elaine's with his kids it the is... um the famous oh. literary restaurant oh and like what is it like what if the fucking uh meals just looks like bean sprouts it's just a pile yeah, oh, of oh yeah bean the sprouts. pile of beans yeah it's, <laughs> it's like this is this is definitely in that time period where like eating healthy was still considered like <laughs> maybe feminine i don't know like you know, it was weird yeah. it's so it's, it's just so it's so it's um, like but it's like their idea of healthy because it looks like it, it looks like they're drinking just glasses of apple cider vinegar like <laughs> they might be uh, yeah. it, it's it, it, it's pretty it's pretty nutty yeah uh we should mention he and his son go jogging in this one both wearing jeans yeah which, which was pretty <laughs> impressive <laughs> I love I love his son. His son, uh, his oldest son, Igor Iggy. Uh, Iggy. He, kind, he kind of holds the role in this movie that like uh, a, 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 a a snarky butler like holds. Like he's like kind of like his like best friend slash his Alfred. Yeah, and, yeah. It's well, like all it's, of these kids are like proto ABC sitcom kids of today who are all oh. like overly precocious. All know their lines way too well. They don't sound like children at all. Oh. You're they're right. all kind of clever. Oh, it's um, all a modern family. It's all fucking. They're all modern family kids. Yeah, Ugh. it's very, very in that kind of kind of realm. Um, there's a lot of like attempts at comedy in the movie. It's yeah. It, it, it this movie would be considered a comedy with a little bit of drama. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, very clear to me that it's trying to capture Kramer versus Kramer, and it's also trying to capture like the peak of kind of Woody Allen's type of stuff. And, yeah. Oh, and failing. Uh, failing at both. Yeah. Uh, in, in all, in all counts. Um, well, it's like, and like the comedy too is so like, it feels like a first draft where like, yeah. where it's like, they all feel like the jokes you would write like hurriedly and as like holder jokes. So when you come back for like the second or third draft, you actually come in with your good stuff. Like there's one scene where like, uh, he's having a fight with Tuesday Weld, and he's like, uh, you're uh, crazier than the guy who held me up at the bank. Wait, he was wearing a Superman outfit and his underpants. Uh, yeah, you're not yeah. as crazy as that guy. That's it's not like, a joke. No, not a joke. I'm not a, I'm not a comedian. I've done some improv, but I'm no comedian. And yeah, but I understand. I have a 
somewhat of a concept at the beginning, middle, and end of a fucking joke. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like this guy needs to see Ape of God starring Henry McHenry. Uh, he would maybe learn a thing or two about comedy from Henry McHenry. A true comedian. The famed Henry McHenry. The most... Oh. Uh, uh, I'll, we'll have to have a talk off mic about off, off mic, we could talk about Annette. It, um, I, I mentioned, I think, last week how much I... Uh, how much I loved it, but uh, that's you know. fair. That's totally fair. I, I have, I have. Uh, I. Not, it's interesting. It's not interesting for everyone. Not for, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I. You know what? Here, I respect the hell out of Annette because at least it's like trying to do art. Like I yeah. love. Yeah. Also, uh, a great. Here's an Annette spoiler. Annette spoiler. Turn your ears off for yeah. Time. Turn your ear. This is actually we're not we're not spoiling forty year old movies anymore. <laughs> no, this is a new one. Yeah. Turn off your ears for the moment in Annette where um uh little Annette is about uh, doesn't perform like she has like uh you know she's like reticent about performing and yeah. then the announcer is like Annette uh don't worry guys Annette is a little nervous she is a baby after all maybe one of the best uh what a good line read. So good, so yeah. good. Yeah, we'll talk okay. about it a little back, bit. Back more. to the movie. Not, back not the movie. an Annette podcast. Not an Annette podcast. Take not a, a quick Leo break Krex. here. Yeah, no worries. We'll be right back, folks. Apologies for all the breaks, folks. Here's a clip of John Forsyth being interviewed on his role in *In Justice for All* and what it was like to work with Al Pacino. Enjoy. Well, he's a very gifted guy. There's no doubt about that. Um, uh, it was a g- very good picture, and I played a heavy for the first time. And as a result of that, uh, I got about three or four offers to play different heavies, which I decided <laughs> against. I was going to do it once, but it's not my milieu, not by any means. And uh, Well, you were quite a heavy in that movie, if oh, I remember. Boy, oh boy, was I. <laughs> And you had uh, Jack Warden in that, and Lee Strasberg, and uh, yes. quite a, quite a uh, crew. Pacino is a is a very very interesting guy, very quiet, very uh, uh, very uh, deeply stirred. When he goes, he blows to the sky. Uh, he's a wonderful actor, and. Uh, he was, he was very pleasurable to work with, but a complicated man. We're back, folks. But, you know, one thing we do need to bring up here, and was alluded to in one of those reviews, is the treatment of its two female leading characters who are both... Um, oh, just this, they suck. And not not no fault to Diane Cannon nor to stay well to no. do the best that they can with what is presented to them. Yeah. But this movie is like, if you thought there were questions about what sides Kramer versus Kramer was taking, mm-hmm. uh, no question. Oh yeah, it's you know, like author. Yeah, it's it's so insane how like it is like Kramer versus Kramer. It's like as if like an angry dad 
watched Kramer versus Kramer and was like, that's not how it's like. Like, no, nah, she's actually an asshole. And I'm my, great. My, my wife is an asshole. And I got 17 kids. <laughs> they all love me. Even little Diego, even though I say he pisses weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he pissed funny, but you like it when I say that. Uh, is, but yeah, um, poor Tuesday Well is faced with the worst kind of the worst of it um it sucks because she's actually as like, gloria his who she tries everything she can for a good performance yeah and it's like well it's like a character that's never they don't really justify at one point in the movie like and it's towards the end it's like the, pretty much the very end when like al pacino's character finally is like you know be gone to her there's yeah. like a moment where like you know al's like you know why are you the way you are and like you know and tuesday weld's just like this is who I am. Like, it just is like this thing where like, she literally just like, it's like as if the script is just like her, putting its her, hands up like, in the air. Quirky, the quirkiness of her character is literally that she gets married, has children, and then walks away. Yeah. It's like she, it's like, you know, two or three Often. years, I get bored. Yeah. It's it's nuts. Yeah. And then um, Diane Cannon does not fare much better as Alice Detroit. She's a star actress who's uh, in Hollywood, who's given a go at, um, Broadway, and um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, Alice, of course, skeptical because he's an artist, but then he realizes she's a babe, so he's like, I'm a little less skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> like, hubba, 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 and they have a whirlwind romance. She moves in, decides she doesn't want to, like, doesn't like yeah. being a mother. And yeah, walks she's like, in. I, I thought we'd have discussions with Norman Mailer, is one yeah. of her lines. Yeah, like, 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 what played it? What person? <laughs> Like, what is, I mean, I guess like it'd be cool, but like, I don't know. In 1982, Patrick, uh, it was a much bigger deal than it is in 2021 in North. Although it That's wouldn't fair. be like a convo with Norman Mailer today, it probably wouldn't be that interesting because he, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, you'd be talking to a talking to a tombstone. <laughs> talking to his tombstone. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, yeah, it's like I know that like. Yeah, back in those days, though, even in 82, when Mailer was no longer like, I mean, he was still a cultural figure, but his like peak era was certainly past. Oh, yeah. Um, no, and it's like, yeah, and I think it's just like less like, it's not that that's like improbable, because I understand that she would want to, but like, it's just like, it's such a crazy, like you're entering this house with like six children from different families. Like you are a forty year old woman. Yeah, you are aware of what that might mean if you're moving in with a dude who's got like eight kids. You yeah. know, uh, these people act like twenty years younger than they are. It's yeah, bizarre. yeah. It's and 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 in the middle of it, you know, I I I believe Alan is always doing his best. I really mm -hmm. do believe he's always doing his best, but um. This isn't him. This is not for him. No, this role. It's, I mean, it's Dustin Hoffman could probably do a little bit more with it. Yeah, uh, maybe like um, someone who might be known for. I'm struggling to think of someone who might be known for a little you, more light comedy. You know who I'm thinking would do this? Actually, would actually do. I was thinking of the the one actor who could actually kind of like save some of this movie is uh, Albert Brooks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he like, has like the sweetness and the I think he would bring empathy to a character that 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 isn't in the script. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think in a few years, uh he guys like him and James L. Brooks and their films would 
do a f- films like this. Yes. And but do it in a uh, fashion that both the drama and the comedy were more just frankly more successful. Yeah. Because it's not again not particularly funny, Mm-mm. but um, pretty dramatically inert too. Yeah, like and, I don't really uh, ever care. Like he at the one point he's got to get the second act of his damn play, um, it, you know, not going well. English with tears. Oh um, God! It's, and and it's like I don't care. He decides he needs to get his wife back, which we all of us have been like, why? <laughs> yes. You haven't like you 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 literally had Alice Detroit move in, like in the meantime. But now he has to get Gloria back, and then he he takes a cab all the way to Gloucester, Massachusetts, uh, for a deathly uncomfortable scene. Yeah, just totally. Uh, and this, yeah, it's so funny. He like tries this, to get her back, basically. Yeah. He he's like probably the it's it's he's a. Get bit of a cuck. He, yeah, well, he's getting cucked, but he's also a dick. <laughs> he's an ass. He's like both. A, he's both a cuck and an asshole. And it's yeah, boy, the guy you want to be with for for <laughs> two hours, right? Author, author, <laughs> author, author. Oh, what a But brand. of course, like you know, another spoiler. Um, uh, he does. He get. He he lives with the kids. He mm-hmm. he and Tuesday well do not get back together again. But guess what? Mm-hmm. He, he hits the nail on the head on that second act. That second act, and they got themselves a hit. So <laughs> he rules. He's still the king of New York. Nothing yeah. wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, all the kid, all the kids that went to different parents, uh, they all end up like either flying back. back home. Yeah, fucking with a goddamn stick with a rag <laughs> with some like cans <laughs> of beans. <laughs> Yeah, little, little, little his name is Spike. Even he has like the name of a little child hobo. Like, you know what I would do? You know, I I love being a father, but if I had like ten kids around the house, all different fathers that I'm taking care of, I would be looking a lot more like Arthur and uh and just throw. God damn, god damn. See, that's the problem with this movie. Is like he should be like it should be oh, like. It's it's crazy that he's not overwhelmed by he his situation. It's the only stupid. thing that really seems to upset him is his work. And like the fact that he you know he wants he wants a regular lady. Yeah. Well, but it's like certainly not a regular lady who will interrupt him from his playwriting duties nor his uh single fa- single fathering duties. Oh god, it's, <laughs> it's uh, like uh, I, he basically it's like I'd like to get married to you but I'd also like to remain a single father. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, such dad it's, it's a huge dad's rock moment. Dad's rock. You dad's know. Dad's rock. Oh man. Uh, oh, oh, we should also mention too one of the cops is played who comes to his house in a farcical sequence in which there's a lot of mistaken identities and one of those scenes where there's like um like a great comedy like what's up doc does a thousand times better by bringing all the characters into the room at the same time with all mistaken premises and like desires and everything like that Mm -hmm. this one tries for like one of those kind of scenes and it's just kind of lame Oh, it's uh, well. It's like well, also, one of the cops is James Tolkien oh, from yeah. Dog Day Afternoon and the uh, principal from Back to the Future, who's clearly and um, what else did we see him as a judge recently in uh, something else? Oh man, I'm, I'll look it up. See uh, you love, right? Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, w- I will say in that scene, the friend had, Al clearly. Oh yeah, and 
and uh, at FOA, friend of Al. Yeah, but um, what a dream. That, that, scene, that scene did have my, uh, or that sequence had my least favorite joke in the movie, where like uh, Al says, this is like a Fellini film. And then when the cops fucking says, who, what, who, which mobster is Fellini? Like, what? <sighs> it's like, fucking kill me. Like, yeah, this fuck sucks. you. Yeah, fuck you. It's like, yeah, we <laughs> get it. You're smart. You know who Fellini is. Well, at, least in the, at least in the Woody Allen movies, he would have just held that over your head, like, in a very, like, <laughs> pretentious kind of way and never explained the joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? it's like, it just, oh, God. It but just, yeah, like, it, it does feel like a sub Woody Allen joke. That it is. A, one. It's 100%. Well, it's like a sub Woody Allen joke. And it's also like a joke that's put in to like let you know that, hey, the guy who wrote this, he's a smart dude. He likes to believe Yeah, it. man. Uh, and the, the, the rubes on the New York police force. Yeah. They would, but uh, they're hogs. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me point you to one. New York police officer who might disagree, who's probably seen a Fellini to what film or two, Frank Serpico. Yes, <laughs> a cultured man. He would, he it'd be so fucking funny if, like, if <laughs> Serpico was one of the cops and was like, Actually, I'm a big fan of eight and a half. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, like, let's, uh, yeah. let's talk Fellini for a while. Talk, yo, you, oh, you like Fellini? Let's talk Fellini. Yeah, uh, I, 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 no, I don't. It was a bad joke. I'm sorry, Frank. I fucked up. I don't know what Fellini is. I just say that to sound smart. He reverts to Bill Paxton. I fucked up. I fucked up. Piss in his pants. Like, yeah, I'll fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Will Forte, like in MacGruber. <laughs> just tell me what the fuck. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Oh, and then his, all his kids blow up. Like... <laughs> e- e- Igor, Raldo, <laughs> guys, you okay? <laughs> Uh, I, I certainly hope our listeners have a uh, pretty good encyclopedic knowledge of the film MacGruber to have picked up on all of that. Uh, an Academy Academy first. I've laughed so hard I've cried. <laughs> oh, man. No, we finally so got tears, but not the way we expected. Not the way we expected. <laughs> oh, so the Ultimate Academy Academy swerve. Uh, yeah. yeah um, I should yeah. also be noted. Author, author was hard for us to find to Ooh. even watch. So hard. Um, we had to pick up an out-of-print DVD that was not cheap that now is, again, part of my collection. Yeah. <laughs> you can now uh, uh, do the... You should, oh, man. Yeah, do like a Bobby Deerfield Arthur Arthur double feature one night to lose all your friends. <laughs> it's a great way have to the, like... the, listen. Have the guys over, crack yeah. a couple beers, throw on Bobby Deerfield, <laughs> you know, usual yeah. guy stuff. <laughs> yeah, guys, we're we're drinking a couple beers, we're playing uh, beer pong, we're watching Arthur Arthur, just just the guys. Stuff. My, my bros and I at the house <laughs> in college. We used to quote Ivan and author author all the time. <laughs> yeah, we all kind of saw ourselves as an Ivan as a kid. Yeah. That's, that's what all the all the yeah all the guys yeah, yeah, like, Which which one of his, which one of his kids was you? <laughs> yeah, I see myself as kind of a spike. I, I I mean I, I I've talked to my therapist many times about how I, I wish I had a dad like Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a dad like I wish I had a dad like, uh, I I had a dad like Igor. You know, I I do love these Al Pacino movies though because we'll review three of them per app like this mm-hmm. 
two of them will just have kind things to say and be like, man, Al Pacino, one of the great American actors, really mm. engaging. And one yeah. of them is just an off the rails shit storm. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, uh, like... <laughs> just garbage fire, but fun. <laughs> but yeah, but fun. It's like, it is like neat to see him playing like, you know, a role like this because he doesn't have another one. Like, he, there's not another one like Ivan in his no. catalog. Well, it's like, uh, I think he learned fast that this wasn't his thing. Oh, totally. Like, he's, he's like not, comedy's not really for him. Yeah. Well, it's funny too because like he can be like, yeah, because it's like he can be erudite too. It's not like he can't be like a playwright. It's just like this mm-hmm. specific kind of like tone is just not. He's not like a Woody Allen type guy, which is no, fine. no. I mean, you know, he's one of these. You know, he's more of a Will Hunting who's going to be like, "How do you like them apples? I'm actually smart. You didn't think so." <laughs> rather yeah. than like a nerd who was like yeah that guy's a smarty friend like al pacino never looks like he got like swirlies no or, like thrown in a locker or anything like oh, that yeah like, yeah and that, you know, and that a- has, as we know he was out playing stickball with the guys oh totally and maybe sometimes he had a copy of like a fellow in his back pocket that he'd hide from the guys yeah yeah yep but he um i although i think it's again this week proven uh he goes jogging in every movie mm-hmm. that we saw this week, does a little bit of dancing in them too. <sighs> He's not the most athletic guy in the world. No, he is. His running, his running style is strange. <laughs> <laughs> it is like uh, an alien. Although, to go back to Bobby Deerfield, his brown headband with the brown Adidas jumpsuit while he we went jogging was another banging outfit. Oh, totally slapped. Yeah, he looks so yeah. good in Bobby He looks Deerfield. so good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm like... It, if it, you take one thing away from this episode at all, is buy some clothes like Bobby Deerfield. <laughs> it's so funny. I want to, I'm not going to do, I, originally I wanted to do the uh, Seiko, commercial, Seiko commercial that's in Bobby Deerfield as the opening for this, but I'm going to do the uh, Injustice for All as the opening. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do, for one of our like pauses, I'm just going to throw in that commercial in there. It's just some, yeah. some nice spice. There's some really, yeah, really good stuff. Peek behind uh, the podcast producing curtain. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, again, I, I, I'm glad all of these movies exist. I, I went down a rabbit hole earlier today. And I started watching trailers to like Hangman, the straight to DVD Pacino. Oh, I was like watching like, yeah, okay, this is good, like wild. Okay, let's watch this. Oh, like, no. You know, and, um, you know, I watched the Righteous Kill trailer twice because Jen was like, what's righteous kill i'm like i gotta show you what righteous kill is not heat <laughs> clearly from the trailer not heat oh, um, no. but um he's watchable like yeah that's what's super fun about this and he's, he's so quirky and all of these movies too are like you know, we were talking a little bit on over text earlier they're all like movies made for adults when adults were respected audience goers who wanted yeah. to see stories about 40 year olds and shit yeah. like that you know and 40 year olds not like not like robert downey jr's 40 year old and iron man like yeah. real 40 year olds yeah <laughs> like, like robert downey jr in the judge yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know with a, a freshly pressed metallica ride the lightning shirts and a bit of an attitude yeah but, you this know guy, this guy's uh this guy's a quirky judge i don't know what that movie well I, I actually have a feeling it might be quite um 
that go back to our conversation about every actor having to play a idealistic lawyer or a troubled lawyer who finds their ideals. I think that's Robert Downey's version of, uh, of that film. It's, it, that movie fascinates me because it has a very low Rotten Tomatoes score, but Robert Duvall got an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah, I, I, and it's the only movie Downey's made in like a decade Yeah, that actually seems like, and don't jump on me for saying this, folks. That actually seems like a real movie. <laughs> um, uh, you know. Sir, uh, I need to direct you to a little film called Doolittle. Oh shit, Doolittle. Yeah, yes. yeah uh, this the movie where uh, where uh, where I think Robert Downey Jr. pulls like an umbrella out of a uh, a dragon voiced by John Cena's ass. Oh. Like that's like the he like saves a, a dragon from being constipated. Jeez. You know, I, I'm really surprised that Downey didn't clumps that movie and do all of the, the animals himself. Uh, please. Let's, uh, let's, get, let's get a fat suit on that, our boy Robert Downey Jr. Put the, boy, put the boy in a bear suit. <laughs> Sound like Buffalo Bill and uh, Silas Lambs. Yes. Put the boy in the bear suit. Oh, no. Puts the lotion in the basket, the basket. then puts on the bear suit. <laughs> puts on the... Oh, that's been Robert Clump. Yeah. Oh, you look. He's like putting her, listening to Tom Petty's American Girl while putting a couch in a car. Hey, you look a lot like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, we're both just broken men. Well, this is, uh, this is uh, another peek behind the podcast curtain. Uh, Academy, Academy After Dark. Yeah. It's by a wide margin the latest we've got. Oh, totally. It is. Oh, it's dark. Yeah, it is. We're 11. taking advantage of, uh, you know, something. I don't know. It's Saturday night. We didn't have anything to do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, we're like, like the movies we wished, uh, like the, we're like the, what we wish movies would cater to. We're adults. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we can do that. We can have a we can have a can of beer while talking about author author. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I will say though is I do we, we kind of get back to the idea of real movies. Mm. For as like kind of lame as author author actually is, mm-hmm. wouldn't you like it if like a new version of author author came out next week and like michael shannon was playing ivan or something like that yeah yeah pretty much the same thing and it's like and it would flop no one would see it it would get bad reviews but it existed yeah that would be like that's what it's a hundred percent i want that more than like like let like less memorable like ip things or superhero movies like just make more like troubled guys who aren't actually all that troubled in new york movies yeah like just like this is basically like it's almost like the male version of a nancy myers movie like it's well like, yeah it's the same wish fulfillment except instead of a kitchen it's like oh you're a beautiful blonde who wants a piece of me and you're a beautiful blonde who wants a piece of me and wait i'm also a creative genius yeah, <laughs> and, and what the hell all my kids are like perfect and respect me. i have no asshole no. kid they have like yeah there's a screenwriter's dream it's like i just want my son back i want my sons to love, love, me. love me love me love please ad rock love me yeah. ad rock come back I, I take it back. Your moves are funky and fresh. I swear. 
I, I promise I will not let your mom throw away your best porno, Meg. <laughs> I saved it just for you. I haven't looked, I swear. Oh, I, I did see somebody on Twitter, though, really bring up an interesting point about that line in Fight for Your Right to Party when he says, my mom threw away the, my best porno mag. Um, he's ranked his porno mags. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is what that means. <laughs> he did like what we did for our top 25 movies. He did that. He did that <laughs> top 25 mags. Seven ratty ass copies of Penthouse. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. Uh, fucking throw it to the wall, just sticks there. Uh, you know, she probably <laughs> threw it away for fucking sanitary purposes. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's yeah. just yeah, she's just like, like you can look at porn, just get some new porn. <laughs> like, like, please, like, yeah. <laughs> like the dust. It's just this is unsanitary. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Something's growing. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We got author, author mind right now. Um, author, author. It's a hit. It's a hit. Yeah. Ten out of ten. Fifty Michelin. 10 out of 10. The, the New York Times, Zagat's, Zagat's <laughs> loved it. Zagat's um, loved it. Yeah, and I mean, I see why, you know, another reason, like, Al wanted to give his old friend, you know, mm-hmm. he trusted his old friend. Like, it's clear, another thing we've learned from this process is uh, Al's a loyal friend. If yes. you're on his, if you're, like, in his crew, especially if you were in his crew, like, coming up. Oh, um, yeah. He, uh, like in in a Sandler esque way, he will um, he'll give you a he'll give you a hand. Yeah, well, it seems too that like he works with so many of the same guys, and it has to be because like it's like he'll like find people he respects and like kind of like keep them around. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is not a tournament movie. No, for a variety, both both in terms of quality of movie or Al's performance. I mean, it's just it's it's it's. It's definitely clear by 1982 he's beginning to f- feel like he's flailing a little mm. bit. Uh, in 1983, he obviously does Scarface, which, um, you know, a mega movie, but as we know, did not do as well at the box office, did not, you know, tear it up as much as they thought it would. Right. And, you know, he's taken a gigantic swing in it, and it didn't seem like if the audiences weren't there for it and the critics weren't there for it, that's going to get to his. Um, confidence yet again and it also needs to be justice for all it was a big hit but um cruising author author scarface and the 1985's revolution in particular were um minor to major financial disasters yeah and 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 critical disasters too yeah and that will like yeah that'll that'll put a toll on you just that consistent uh, barrage Mm mm-hmm yeah. Um, and to be as good of an actor as he is, of course, he's sensitive. And, oh, yeah. you know, that, that gets to him. And, you know, that's what leads you to things like spending all of your money workshopping the local stigmatic for five years. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, but God bless him for doing it. I, lo- I would have loved cool. to see Robert De Niro or Meryl Streep do some crazy shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Or like, you know, bringing back like Michael, like I'd love for like Michael Shannon or Jesse Plemons or, uh, you know, uh, John Boyega or someone to do like uh, their version of that today. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, they just get really into some checkoff play and work on it for five years. Oh, like, yeah. That and slap. yeah. That, that's what makes Al a hero. He's a nut, but he's our nut and we love yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, I, I, despite the fact that, you know, Bobby Deerfield was pretty boring and Justice for All was really entertaining, but tonally all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Author Author was just kind of a miss. I was yeah. happy to watch all three of them. 
I enjoyed myself watching all three of them. I'm again, I'm happy and I'm thrilled to have seen them. I'm thrilled to have added them to my like collection of movies I've seen. And like <laughs> you know at this point, like yeah, I feel like every Al Pacino film at this point has something to offer to me at least. Yeah, like I have like a. It's always like uh, it's fascinating. Like uh, I feel like I know this actor so well, and it's so much fun to like kind of see him tackle um, different roles and like sometimes oh, oh, he agree. Has, yeah, just to see him. Yeah, just to see yeah. him, it's like, what's he doing this time around? Oh, oh, he's doing that voice. That's cool. You yeah, know, or something like that. Yeah, he's doing. I was like, oh, he did a little bit of. I see a little bit of injustice for all in this performance. Oh, he's doing his dog day trick here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes you want to even go back to ones we haven't seen in a while, like, like cruising even, and yeah. like to take a look now that we've seen him further. Carlito's Way is one I was thinking about rewatching. Oh man, even like Panic and Needle Park. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I mean, for me, uh, just to sum up these three movies before we get to a little bit of a goofball game, um, I think Injustice for All could have been in this tournament with ease. Probably yeah. is the movie that we have seen outside the non-tournament film that we have seen. I would put it in the number one slot of non-tournament films we've seen that should have been in the tournament. Yeah, I think it might have the best, the best, uh, is it the best non-tournament Al Pacino film we've seen. I'm not I think, sure. Uh, best performance, I think, at the very I think performance. Least. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's definitely yeah. best performance. I would say, like, yeah. I'm trying to yeah. think of, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and, that's right. uh, for listeners, totally worth watching. Yeah. Totally, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, Bobby Deerfield and author, author, if you want to um, get to some deeper cuts, if you've, if you've really been following along closely, go mm-hmm. for it. Um, it's only probably like only for completists only. Yeah, probably. that's like the perfect. Uh, yeah, they're like uh, they're not necessarily the most entertaining deep cuts. So like if you're if you really want to just follow us on this Al Pacino trail, like go right ahead. If you're as in the tank and just sold into him. Yep. As possible. Then yeah, go for it. Yeah. I, mean, I, I watched the trailer to City Hall today and I was like, oh, I want to watch that. So I'm in. I'm we're, totally in. Yeah, we're in. We're like, yeah, we're 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 suck, we're Pacino freaks, folks. Um, but yeah, so this week, um oh, this is uh, you can tell me if this is in poor taste or not, but we'll we'll go with it. Uh we'll this it week, we're calling this game not Alex Trebek, Al Pacino. Um, (laughs) rest in peace to a great one um we all know this boob this this uh this line cutting jamoke mike richards uh eat shit bitch i mean you know yes it's (laughs) yes it's just a game show but it's our game show yeah (laughs) Um, yeah. uh, he got hired and then quickly let go as the new host of jeopardy much you, you all know the story. Much oh, controversy. Man. Hot top, hot topic in the entertainment yeah. world. Twitter ablaze. Um, new enemy for yep. uh, enemy of new, the week. A new yeah, enemy of the <laughs> stamps.com certified enemy of the week. Yeah. Uh, not not villain of the week because that's definitely going to the judge and justice for all. Uh, can't be stopped. You know, we were talking before we got on. Perhaps the most evil man we've met this entire tournament. Yeah. Um. So this this boob. Mike Richards. Yeah. Oh God. Um, dweeb. <laughs> dumbass. Like Homer Simpson villain. Like yeah. Just like that. Uh, he's dumb. out. Yeah. But you know that uh, we don't got a we don't got a Jeopardy host. We don't. No. no. Uh, I got some inside intel though. Uh, we we live in Hollywood, California, as everyone mm-hmm. knows. 
Uh, I got some inside intel. Uh, they have the narrowed down mm. the new host mm-hmm. of Jeopardy to three. Well, you you be the judge, not not the judge, obviously, and Justice for All. He's a bad guy, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe the maybe the suicidal yeah. judge. You could yeah. be him. Yeah. Uh, he's fun. Uh, or it could be the titular. Or it could be the titular judge and the judge. Yeah, the, the judge. Um, down to three candidates you can you can be the judge of if they are qualified or not uh but i'm just gonna read the names to you right now on these candidates um wow bobby deerfield race car driver oh no he's he's been announced as one of the candidates oh no uh, wow For, formula one champion or bobby deerfield Char- charisma machine um oh and look at this um <laughs> Disgraced lawyer Arthur Kirkland <laughs> has what? been uh, nominated for the job. Wow! <laughs> what wow! The hell? What in the hell? Um, and I'll be damned. Oh, no. Celebrated New York father and playwright okay. Ivan Trevelyan has been nominated for uh, the job of Jeopardy host. I, I mean, I think you hear these names and you say to yourself, Lavar. You say to yourself, Lavar, who? Miami, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Aaron who? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like we got two oh, we got three top-notch candidates here for the job of Jeffrey host Patrick. You and Mike Richards, who has retained his job as executive producer. <laughs> oh Jesus. Oh no. Oh no, I have to um, okay. You know, can... and I can see Mike is like Mike is giving me like the thumbs up right now and he's pointing towards the Ivan picture, the picture of Ivan. Yeah, Mike's like he's like he's like, you sure we don't have one more twist in here and I don't get at the job. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, get yeah, get get out of here. I just I just closed the door. Mike's out. Such a funny, like it's almost like a comedic like character, like in a farce. It's like, you know, the best man for the job is I've narrowed it down. I looked really hard. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, what a what a silly what a silly what a silly man. Uh, yeah. Uh, what what a saga. It's a, it, saga. it sure like caused a lot of people to lose sleep. I don't yeah. know why. Um, the saga, the saga of Mike Richards. Yeah. I mean, we got three top candidates here. Who who are you thinking out of these three is the best best uh, guy for the job? I mean, uh, yeah, God. all straight all straight white guys, but you know. Oh, uh, I'm trying to think. Like, oh God, it like it does like. On one hand, you know what? I think like to the layman, you'd go for Ivan because like, you know, he seems erudite. He seems He's like he's got a little bit of celebrity cachet. Yeah. But then like the true the true Jeopardy head, you all know it's Arthur. He watches every night. He definitely wants. He's the only one 100%. out of this group who wants. Maybe Ivan watches. I don't think Bobby Deerfield has seen an episode of Jeopardy. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't know. He's never Jeopardy, seen a game what's, show. Jeopardy, what's that? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, can I do my May West? <laughs> I'm gonna do my my incredibly uncomfortable May West. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not good. By any means. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even really changing my voice at all. I'm yeah, kind of, yeah. I, I, I seem, do I seem exhausted to you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was kind of looks like I'm almost doing a slow chicken dance. Yeah. Sure. Did we take lewds right before doing this? <laughs> yeah. Lewds were still available in yeah. 1977. Yeah, this was the peak of lewds. I was probably yeah. taking lewds. Uh, that'd be so great if it just all turned out to be a lewd fantasy. 
Yeah. Just like Serpico's lewd fantasy. He's, Sir, he's, yeah. He gets his lewd in Switzerland. Paco, try these lewds. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> no, these lewds are great, Paco. Paco, uh, don't, don't tell anybody I'm a cop. And don't tell anybody I'm on lewds. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. Don't give the mouse the lewds. Oh, no. <laughs> Paco. Paco. <laughs> Your parakeet's dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you laid an egg, Paco. It got into, the st- got into our stash. Oh, yeah. It's like, the, it's like the goose in the wire that they fed alcohol to and it died. Well, it's like the, it's also like the kid in the drugs commercial, the 80. Where did you get this? You know what this does? I learned it from you, Dad. That's the bird responding <laughs> to it. <laughs> I learned it from you, Frank. <laughs> Uh, that's so good. Yeah, no, I have to give it to my boy Arthur. I think it's Arthur. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think Arthur is the clear choice. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I want to say too, he keep the place clean. There, there's no quiz show shenanigans happening on his watch yes. on uh, Jeopardy. You know, he's he's gonna call you out, and he's gonna um, he's gonna probably like go on the air and be like, and I just want to say, Mike Richards was railroaded but he wasn't he's an asshole <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man I, I i would love to see uh arthur kirkland in the celebrity like the snl celebrity uh just getting totally <laughs> exasperated by sean connery yeah. just like god damn it god damn. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> you're giving to charity They're, <laughs> we're giving you money this isn't we're not playing for money here sean this is for lives. These, these are human beings. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So Arthur Kirkland is the new host of Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, boy, good choice. Good choice. I mean, oh man. Until that that one time he was on a slightly unethical is revealed now, and mm-hmm. uh, he gets canceled by Twitter too. <laughs> <laughs> totally just ruined. <laughs> Another guy who skipped the line. <laughs> Arthur Kirkland. <laughs> Eat shit, Arthur Kirkland. Or eat shit, you boob, Arthur Kirkland. <laughs> the new enemy of the week, Arthur yeah, Kirkland. Wow, how the mighty fall. Oh, we got a crying baby. Um, well, we should probably call it for this week, folks. Thank oh, you so much for joining us. Next week, if you want to keep want to watch along ahead of time, we're doing the one more bonus episode before we get to the grand finale of the bracket portion of the Al Pacino tournament. Next week, we are watching Righteous Kill with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, teamed up with a movie we have alluded to for the last, how many months now have we been doing this Pacino season? God, yeah, since like February, maybe? Yes. So next week, we will be officially talking about in great detail and hopefully with something new to say beyond this movie rules, bro. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the Irishman. <laughs> oh man, put on your put on your hard hats, folks. Put on your hard be- hats. Take a look at the film. Join us. It's going to be a really wonderful episode about what it means to be an aging actor. Yeah. Oh man, it's I, I'm. It's all 
It's all ro- it's all gonna be roses and daffodils, I assume. It just it's it, you know, it's all gonna be fun. Aging the, rules. Yeah, aging rules. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing, there's no um the there's no humiliation, cool. sadness, and loss that comes with that. Yeah. So and, and being a mobster, oh, it's probably fun as hell. And being a mobster rocks. Yeah, it's so cool. There's no repercussions. There's we no none, none whatsoever. Just put that Irishman <laughs> poster on your wall and think about that 75-year-old man curb stomping folks uh, okay until until all right next until time. next time we'll see y'all later bye bye uh, Paco, we love you <laughs>